0: Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God had said to the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles lived, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, the light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness please pray with me dear lord we come before you today in humility and gratitude we thank you for the blessings you have given us and for the love and grace you have shown us we thank you for the gift of our church and for the guidance and leadership of our pastor ryan and for his family Amberly, morgan Ethan. Reese. We pray for our pastor, that you would continue to bless him with wisdom, strength, and discernment. We ask that you would give him a deep understanding of your word and the ability to communicate it in a way that reaches the hearts of those who hear it. We pray that you would give him the courage and boldness to speak the truth, and that you would use him and us to bring people to Christ. We pray for our church and that you would continue to use it as a beacon of light in our community. We ask that you would bring people to our doors who are searching for truth and hope and that you would use us to become a source of encouragement and support for them. We pray that you would continue to bless our fellowship and that the love and unity we share would be a testimony to the world of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck.
1: Thank you, Tyler, and uh, welcome again. As so often is the case in this congregation, uh, the prayers uh, and songs sort of Ah, uh, bring messages all throughout the service. So we we have it can be said we have multiple messages in our in our worship service. Uh, thanks be to God. If you catch me uh, from about mid-November to about the end of January in this season of my life, and you ask me to reflect on anything really, um, which is dangerous, you know, and don't you? You most of you are smart enough not to ask that. But if if you do, I'm probably going to say something about little dribblers, little little third and fourth grade girls basketball Uh, as a parent who gets to watch and so many in our congregation are playing right now and and as having the privilege of coaching the last few years it's just truly a remarkable thing to watch and observe and we we have a lot of fun we laugh a lot at ourselves and uh, and at our coach and so it's it's a great experience but as I've been coaching through this season I'm reminded I was telling the girls at our last practice I said girls we have had 12 practices together that means we've had 12 whole hours to become basketball disciples. We, we are, we've had 12 hours. I mean, you think about 12 hours is a lot of time. You can cover a lot of ground in 12 hours. And you think about you're going to teach material, you're going to teach a class, you're going to do something. I mean, 12, 12 one-hour sessions is a lot of time. And, uh, and we needed that time because we started the season, you know, and some of us have never played before. Uh, some of us are rusty from the year. And so we, we got to get back in the shape of things. And I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, our girls, whatever else we've done at the end of this season, we are we have gotten better. Each girl's gotten better. And so that and that's what uh, being a, a player on a team is all about is improvement and learning to love the game, having fun and And truly getting better. so, but it's proper that we would say that after twelve hours of something and that, and you know my practices are very rigorous, very well planned. so it's it's I mean there's a card every week, where we don't we have no wasted time. and so we are truly, I think we can safely say that we're basketball disciples at this point. We are truly disciples. so, Uh, And then there are many other things that we see our our kids that are up to. I look out of the congregation today, I see soccer disciples, uh, I see band disciples, choir disciples, and there are a lot of good discipleship going on in the community. And I've seen many of you in your environments, in your homes, in your workplaces, in your friendships, your relationships. I've seen many of you be caregivers to family members, and you are disciples of many trades, many vocations, many different ways of living. You are disciples. And so Jesus walks into our lives today, just like he walked in the lives of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he is announcing to us that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he is inviting us to become students, to become disciples, to become those who would risk our lives to follow Jesus into the light and into the life of grace. So Jesus arrives along the scene of Galilee, and it's just another day at the office for Peter and Andrew, for James and John and their father, their commercial fishermen. This is their livelihood. This is their income, and they're busy fishing. And here Jesus initiates a conversation wherein he walks by and calls them to leave what they're doing in order to take up another type of vocation and for them to leave their nets and follow Jesus. He calls them to be disciples, followers, people that would walk in his footsteps, those that will follow and imitate Jesus along the pathway of whatever Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this great announcement that those who sat in the darkness had seen a great light. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. This region of the world, this region of Israel that had been sitting in darkness in the midst of exile. This was the first group of people to be dragged off into exile, especially the most educated and those who were community influencers. They got carried away to other places and there was only a small group left behind, mostly peasants. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene and he starts there, it's very significant. He's ready to get, the, he wants the light shining back throughout this area to let them know that God has not forgotten about you and there's still hope for you to grow and change and live this way of life. And so this is being announced to us. This is news that must be shared. It must be lived because the love of God insists that this is how it must be. It's an astonishing event. I mean, we could tell this story in so many different ways, and it's very staggering. It's very fascinating. Any of us that are that like our routines, we're used to kind of doing our Monday through Friday thing, we have our weekend rhythms. You know, for someone to walk in and disrupt our lives in this way is very staggering. And really, we can think of the calling of the disciples in this in this story that Tyler read for us. This is really Jesus' first miracle that he performs, is he calls people to leave. In faith, into an unknown, something they really don't know what they're getting into fully. And they immediately, Matthew tells us, they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. It's a radical event. There's another miracle, of course, when they immediately leave their nets and follow Jesus. They're following Jesus in his words, they're hearing him announce things about the kingdom of God and repentance. They're also seeing him. Uh, act with works of mercy, bringing healing, bringing hope, and they're beginning to take that on as well. So they're following Jesus, we might say, in word and in action or in deed. This is, you know, traditionally in this environment, in this culture, what would happen is the rabbi student relationship, the coach, uh, you know, player relationship, the uh, teacher student relationship. Was always initiated by the student. So if I was a young Jewish male and I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn about something in particular. I had a certain academic interest, a certain way of life that I wanted to attain to. I would go find a rabbi in the community or somewhere out in the countryside that that was that was kind of ahead of me in that. And I would say, "Hey, uh, Rabbi So and So, I want to follow you. I want to follow you, and I want to learn what you know. I want to walk in your footsteps." You know, so if I walked into one of your offices and said, "Hey," I want to learn your trade. I want you to teach me the business that you're doing. I want you to teach me what it's like to be a teacher. I walk into your classroom and say, okay, I'm going to observe you for the next two years, and I want to see what it takes to be a teacher. I'm going to shadow you. I want to become your disciple. That's how it worked. Jesus very unconventionally flips the script, and instead of waiting for people to come to him, he goes to them, and he says, hey, guys. I want you to follow me, and we're going to do this a little differently. Instead of going and learning about a subject, I'm not going to make you better scholars necessarily right away. What we're going to do is I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. You already know how to fish. Now I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And I mean, it's it's all at once terrifying and exciting. And so you can imagine what was going through their mind, fish for people. What is this going to be like? And so this news of salvation, that the light is shining in the darkness, This is work that needed to be done, and they realize they've been asked to follow to jump into this mix. So Jesus calls, Jesus invites, Jesus reminds the disciples this is a gift, this is an opportunity. It's not just growing in knowledge, but it's becoming the kind of people that draw other people into the same way that we're walking, the same way of salvation. This is uh, The way of life is disciples who make disciples. It's not just becoming disciples, it's becoming a disciple who makes a disciple. It's becoming a follower who draws other followers. So last week when we were talking about discipleship, and we're kind of introducing that concept and talking through it, uh, we talked about baptism and the great story of Jesus' baptism and how all of our discipleship stories begin with baptism, as is appropriate, because the most important calling that we have in our life ever is the call to belong, the call to be children, call to be sons and daughters of God. And if we miss that call, then all the rest of them will never really make sense. They'll always feel just a little bit out of step. So we realize that we've been called by God to belong. And once we respond to that call, we are are in the family, we're part, we're heirs of Christ, we're joining Christ, we're constantly going through life, learning and confirming uh, through our own hearts that we belong to God. And that's a lifelong journey, but that's what we start. That's what our baptism reminds us of. And so we think of it that way, that 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 call that we talked about last week is a call to belong. The call that we talk about today, that we kind of see that Jesus is enacting here with his disciples, is the call to follow, the call to be a disciple, the call to be transformed throughout all aspects of our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's the great martyr, the German martyr uh, who died in the 1940s in a concentration camp uh, for, for living his faith, uh, he he had a great wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship, and in that book he has this great quote that when Christ calls a person, he bids them to come and die, bids them to come and die, and that's really what's happening is we're we're leaving one way of life behind, and we're taking up another way of life that will lead us in this pathway that Jesus is announcing to us. This calling that we all receive. Every one of us receives a calling throughout our lives, and each one of our callings is unique. It's just as unique in the, as the families that we live in, the vocations that we're a part of. Our calling to follow Jesus is very different. All of our callings are not—none of them are solo callings. They're not Lone Ranger callings. They're all callings to be a part of a community and to live a certain way, to become a certain kind of people, and, uh, and to be on— a journey together. And I really like the way that I was reading uh, Susan Muto this week, who's kind of one of the uh, modern, at least in, in our in the American culture, spiritual masters. And she uh, has written extensively on human formation and discipleship. She's very steeped in the tradition of uh, spiritual formation. She's a spiritual director. And I was reading one of her books this week uh, called The Narrow Way, where she reflects on what it takes for us to leave the life of the broad path behind in order to take up the narrow way of Jesus. And of course, when Jesus talks about that, this narrow way, uh, it can seem intimidating, uh, it can seem all kinds of things, but the, the irony is in following Jesus in the narrow way is actually it doesn't bring more restriction. When we truly follow Jesus in, what, in this narrow pathway, it actually leads to a life of more freedom, greater freedom, because we're free from the things that we typically fall in, in slavery to, uh, even through our own just you know living for ourselves, that we think will bring us greater freedom, but in reality brings us greater slavery. So when we open our lives and we begin to follow in the narrow way of Jesus, we find this wonderful freedom that we didn't know before and we can't know on our own. And so the way that Susan Muto talks about calling, it really stuck with me this week. And I'm so guilty of this and we hear it all the time. But she says, it's very important to remember that our calling, the calling on my life and your life is not a commodity. It's not a commodity. It's not something that we you know, buy or get or grasp and possess. It's not a commodity, but it is truly who we are. It is actually who we are. Our calling is our life. Our calling is not something that we can just figure out and live in one day or by going on one trip or doing one thing or one job. Our calling is lifelong. It's with us always. And we are either growing into it and embodying it and fleshing it, working it out, or we're falling away from it and we're distancing ourselves from our life calling. And so it's, she says it's never something that we accomplish but it is rather something that we are forever achieving. I just love that. Our calling, the the calling that Jesus has on all of our lives, is something that we're forever achieving. Are there significant moments throughout our life where we recognize that calling and there's this critical decision where we say yes or no? Absolutely. These critical moments are very important. But it's equally as important to remember that a calling is something that lasts a lifetime. And it's something that's truly who we are. And so it makes sense that it would keep us busy throughout our lives. And so uh, that's a very important thing. One of the things I was thinking of when we talk about spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines or anything, or we think about third and fourth grade girls basketball, is uh, this is learning to distinguish and maybe think about things instead of thinking about things as trying. It's important to re kind of visualize that. It's more important to think about training, not so much trying. But training, it's not like, okay, coach, I'll try hard and I'll become a better basketball player. No, we're not going to worry about your try hard. We know you're all going to work hard, but it's training. The training is important. We're going to do this many sprints. We're going to shoot this many layups. We're going to do this many dribbles before we shoot free throws. And we're going to shoot this many free throws. We're going to do the three-girl weave 10 times until we don't trip over one another. And we're going to do that. And it all has a purpose, but we're going to train. We're going to train. We're going to train. Discipleship in the way of following Jesus is the same way. You know, it's it's about training. It's not about trying. We all try. Goodness, we're all trying our best. We're all trying. Some of us are trying too hard, and so we we end up, you know, kind of catching up with ourselves, getting frustrated. It's about training. I had the pleasure of officiating a wedding last night for some of our church members, and as I was as I was talking to the bride and the groom, I didn't talk through this, but I was thinking this would be a great another great example of a place marriage where. Uh, trying it, it just in that sense, it's not that helpful. Training is very important, but I can't just say, you know, I think one of my goals is sure I'm just gonna try to be a better husband. And if that's all I do and I just try, I, I'm probably just gonna make the same mistakes that I've been making and I'm just gonna make them with greater speed because I'm gonna try harder. So now, now I'm going to now I'm gonna step on more toes. I'm gonna do more things wrong. So, okay, all right, but training, now that's different. I'm gonna train to be a better husband by, I'm going to make it a point to say, Listen more than I speak in a conversation, or I'm going to say I'm going to have this many conversations with my spouse about XYZ in over the course of three months, or whatever. So, that's those are training things. I'm going to talk to someone else who's 20 years ahead of me in marriage and ask for their advice, and I'm going to listen to them. And that's that's part of training. So there's things we can do. Uh, so what are some objections that we all have? I mean, I, if you're like me, there's always objections. when We, we face and we, we recognize that Jesus is calling us to something, and we immediately come up with objections. And they're all different depending on where we are, what stage of life. But here's a couple that I've, I've identified. Uh, you may have your own that we can we can talk through, and your training process, again, will look a little different. But one of the objections to the narrow way, to following Jesus, to truly abandoning uh, our lives to a, a way of life that we would choose for ourselves to following the way, the pathway of Jesus. One of the objections is simply the Broadway is pretty alluring. You know, it's pretty fun and it's pretty fun to be ambitious and live for yourself. We can achieve so much. I mean, there's it, it is a the Broadway is very enticing. It's very alluring. There's not a single person alive that's not tempted by it. And, and if we think that we are, we are deceived because it is, it is an alluring way. There's a strong gravitational pull to live for ourselves. That, that We don't have to learn that. From the time we're little children, no one has to teach us to be selfish and live for ourselves, right? The, the broad way is very enticing. Another objection to the narrow way to following Jesus is it's another way of saying I'm already there, like I've already made it. And the way we say that sometimes is, well, no one's perfect. You know, I, yeah, I could grow, but I mean, no one's perfect. And I hear that, and it's come, it starts in a good place, and that we don't want to be judgmental. We certainly don't want to be people who are just always condemning others. That would be a terrible way to live. But, what we can't say is just, oh well, no one's perfect, and then and abandon the whole project. You know, well, I'm never going to be as good as Michael Jordan, so I think I won't shoot layups today, Coach. I mean, that 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 doesn't work. That's going to be a dead end. So it's an immature way of being and thinking. It's just, oh, well, no one's perfect, so I'm just not going to train. I think about this in, an, in any kind of agricultural metaphor you want to think about, but just imagine. I mean, no one would respect a farmer who said, well, you know. I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to harvest a wheat crop on that field for 20 years, but hey, no one's perfect. Everybody has weeds. I mean, I've tried. I've tried really hard. I got my tractor out there. I drove through. I mean, I didn't bother to set anything. It was just sprinkling seed out on the ground. I didn't set the depth. I didn't check it. Uh, I just ran over it. Well, I just keep doing that every year, but I mean, I tried and no one's perfect. I mean, I look around, no one's growing perfect wheat crop. Well, of course, no one's growing a perfect wheat crop, but that's not what being a good farmer, you know, it's bearing fruit. Jesus said, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, enduring fruit. And so we can't just, you know, call something that's, it's not a wheat field anymore. If there's no wheat growing in it, If it's just full of weeds. Then it's not a wheat field. It. It's, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love that soil, that God doesn't love that farm. It doesn't mean God doesn't love that person that's not on the pathway to discipleship. It just means that we can't call that discipleship. We can't call that following Jesus by just saying, oh, well, no one's perfect. So that's, that's one objection. And then the last objection is, is really two sides of that same coin. And that one is that that objection sounds like I'm not going to train because I'll never get there. I'll never get there. Um, we have some idea about it from who knows where, or we feel like we've been trying for a long time and we're just not getting anywhere. You know, I'm just treading water here. I've been trying, I've been working through it, and I'm just not getting anywhere. Or we feel like we don't, have, we don't perceive our own worth, and so we think, gosh, I'm not even really worth the Lord's time. I've been at this so long, I think I'm just going to abandon the project. It's just not worth it. I'll never get there. So those two, one says, hey, I'm already there. I don't need it. The other one says, I'll never get there because I'm not good enough or I've been trying hard and it's not working. Uh, Both of these places require just kind of a recovery of faith, you know, a recovery of a recognition of the gift of the courage that it takes to follow Jesus and the joy that comes with that, the grace that we receive with the calling. Saint Paul talks about encourages the Ephesian church to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that they've received. There, there's a certain way that we walk, he says, and it's and it's in line with the calling we receive. We receive this glorious calling from God. That's really who we are, and so the way that we walk is in line with that calling. That's our whole project of growing up in the faith and bringing others along. Is we're, we we want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling received. We want to imitate Jesus by his grace, you know? And that's, that's what this whole project is all about. So uh, the invitation today is simply to discover or rediscover the miracle of your calling, the miracle of the calling that is already inside of you, that is already part of your identity, and in whatever way you hear or feel drawn, to commit to the pathway of following Jesus, the training, the discipleship, the joy, and the freedom of the narrow way. An invitation to hear the still small voice of God, to hear it again, maybe for the first time, for the four millionth and first time. Jesus is calling, and that that is the one thing we can count on. If if we feel like we haven't heard the calling of Jesus or recognized the calling of Jesus in our life in 30 years, 40 years, 3 months, uh, the great news is that Jesus never stops calling. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't give up on us. Uh, no matter how many times we've, we've set, the, set the walking stick down and said, I'm just not going any further, or I'm going to find a different path, the call will never stop. The calling of Jesus will always persist. And the great news about following Jesus is that if we fall, if we fall down and we're in the company of Jesus, This is the best place to be when you fall down because there's an economy for that. It includes that. It says, hey, if you're following Jesus and you fall down, the call doesn't change. Follow me. Become who you've been called to be. Repent. Get back on your feet and let's go. This is the place you want to be when you fall down, when you stumble. The place of grace, the life of grace in the footsteps of Jesus. This is a safe place to become who we've been called to be starting where we are today today. And so uh, may this life, may this way of life, may this walk in the narrow way uh, give us joy, give us strength, give us hope in the days to come and in this year. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.